Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Well, we're glad the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inducted her while she was still alive, more than the passing of one of the greatest talents ever, Tina Turner, yesterday. But she was inducted in the most recent ceremony. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Lisa Garvin, Laura Johnston, Layla Tassi, and we're starting, as we often have lately, with issue one. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine is the latest, the leading state Republican to put on his hypocrite hat with his convoluted reasoning for supporting the legislature's effort to torpedo democracy in the state. Laura, what is his reasoning and why does that make him a first class hypocrite? Well, he's using the same double speak as we've heard from other people so far. So S Governor Mike DeWine said Wednesday he plans to vote for state issue, issue one. Obviously, this is the proposed constitutional amendment that's going on the August ballot that would make it harder for Ohio voters to put any constitutional amendments on the ballot and pass them. And this starts with the planned abortion rights amendment in November. We all know that that Mike DeWine is staunchly anti-abortion. So here's his quote. The concern is people can come in outside forces outside the state of Ohio and spend a ton of money trying to impact the Constitution. Well, <laughs> we know that the outside money is the one that's pushing this, right? That we're getting billions of dollars from out of state, from conservative causes, folks like the Ohio right, right to life and the anti-gun, or sorry, the anti-gun like reform led. um a lobby was the one circulating signatures and pushing and whipping legislators to vote for this. Right. The, the whole reason this is on the ballot is because outside money put it there. And Mike DeWine is saying, I want to stop outside money from influencing the Constitution. That's exactly what this is. Absolutely. That makes him a hypocrite. He's also a hypocrite because he signed the bill outlawing August elections in Ohio. This is an August election. On principle, he shouldn't be pushing what's going on here. The other thing is, let's face it, Mike DeWine is the beneficiary of a lot of outside money. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of dark money that influences Ohio. It's complete hooey what he's saying. He's just following what's going on in Ohio. Look, the last vestige of democracy in the state is the ability to change the Constitution, which is not easy. We've had the same system for 100 years. It's not easy. But with gerrymandering, we have created a tyranny of the minority in Columbus with the Supreme Court now being filled with partisans who put party over the people, as we saw in the rulings some of the dissenters made in the gerrymandering case. This is it. This is the last thing Ohioans have in their quiver to stop 
out-of-control tyranny in the state. And here's Mike DeWine leading the charge. It's a shameful statement by Mike DeWine, and I don't know what happened to the guy that we thought was so wonderful in 2020 when we entered the pandemic. I completely agree. It's like he just kowtows to whatever the legislature wants. And the rest of his quote, he's saying that the legislative process is frankly a better process. And it's like, well, good, because yeah, that's who who controls that? The gerrymandered legislature. It's not in the power of the people. That's in the people. That's the people they elect, who, by the way, seem to be a lot more swayed by big money and campaign donations than the people who actually vote for them. So and then he brings in the federal constitution, which started a conversation in our newsroom about the differences, because just I feel like this might be a bubbling argument that's coming. Well, the the federal constitution is harder to change. We should we should emulate that. But the U.S. Constitution has 27 amendments. It, It is a lot different than the Ohio Constitution, which has 172. And obviously, Ohio's is newer than the federal constitution. So it's a different kind of document that has been used in a different way to put things that the people want in their state into the law. Right. It's not, look, we don't do this often because it is very difficult to change the constitution. You have to get signatures, a lot of signatures in half of the the state's counties, and then you've got to get the majority vote. It's not easy. It doesn't happen often. The system has worked. We haven't had it corrupted. This is to stop. Mm -hmm. Look, gerrymandering has put us in a position with super majorities in the legislature that don't match the voting public. The, the state has leaned red, but it's not supermajority. Because of their sinister practices, they have created supermajorities where they lured over the state. They know the one way that regular people can fight back is through this. And so they're sneaking this thing onto the August election, hoping nobody shows up and trying to take away the power of the people. When we were talking about this yesterday, a a very interesting element rose up. Uh, Yeah, I was surrounded by you and Layla and some other women. And the women started talking about how this is an assault on women and that we're heading to the handmaid's tale, which was fascinating. It was very fervent. Well, it's like, what's the end goal, right? We just keep watching people's rights be stripped away. And if you look at things in the aggregate of who is running our state, it does seem like... (laughs) And this goes back to the childcare project that I'm working on too, right? Like it, it feels like we're going to push against anything that is progressive because we want to keep white men in power. And, and I'm not saying that that's what they're saying, but when you're stripping away people's rights and you're pushing against things like the abortion, right? And by the way, that's how this is going to get marketed to people. They're, they're going to be like, if you don't want abortion to be legal in Ohio, you need to vote for this amendment on the August election. Don't even think about what's happening down the road, that you will give away all your power. But they want to just focus on the shiny thing in front of them, the thing that's up in November, rather than looking at all of the big issue. And I can't stress enough. I I say I disagree. I think they're trying to stop all the issues. Well, they are. But the way that they're selling it to voters is going to focus on abortion. That this is going to be the final cap that's that puts them, Matt Huffman, people like Mike DeWine, John Houston, Frank LaRose, they want to be dictators in this state. The only answer the people have is to change the Constitution. Some will say, well, they can change the laws, but any law that we change by vote. They could turn around the next day and undo. <laughs> they just so did it with the August election. Right. It's not it's not permanent. So 
I don't know. I, 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 I've said this before. I keep getting notes from prominent people in this town mm-hmm. who are in a panic saying that this is our responsibility to get the word out and, and, and kind of criticizing us because they don't think we're doing enough. I don't, I don't know what more we can do. We're doing stories almost every day. We got more in the lineup. But that panic people are feeling, I think it's because they realize the future of, of this state hangs in the balance in August. Well, if this happens, the future of this state is dreary indeed. And it's what Layla said the other day, like, go talk to someone. Like, I know that it's not comfortable to talk about politics, but, you know, it's going to be Memorial Day weekend. Beautiful weekend coming up. Long weekend. Everybody's going to see their family and friends. Just mention this to people. Make sure it's on their radar as we start the summer, because I think people don't want to think about their power than their rights being taken away. But we need to make sure that everybody knows what's at stake in August. And make a plan to vote, too. Yeah. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Lisa, we now have two cases before the Ohio Supreme Court over the Ohio legislature's effort to persuade voters to give away their power to amend the Constitution. What's the latest one? Yeah, this is a second lawsuit by the group called One Person, One Vote, and they filed it with the Supreme Court earlier this week over the ballot language. Uh, This joins their first suit that was seeking to block the August election on this matter. They accused the Ohio Ballot Board of intentionally misleading the public with language that's, quote, rife with material omissions and misleading statements. And they say it only describes the effects of the 60% threshold and not how it changes from the current law. Voters might assume that they're voting in favor of a new right to change the Constitution, but they've had that right since 1912. So they feel the language is misleading, thinking this is a new thing. Also, they took issue with the 88 county signature requirement. They say that the ballot language doesn't state that that's twice what the current you know law says for 44 counties. And they also took issue with a lot of people did over the word elevate in the title of state issue one. They say it has a positive connotation, um, whereas they are legally required to have neutral language on the ballot. The suit actually cited a 2012 Ohio Supreme Court case where the court voted six to one against approved ballot language in a suit filed by a redistricting reform group. So there is legal precedent here. I was very pleased to see. We had an editorial that just slams this, slams Frank LaRose, because he's the leader of this terrible movement, for playing games with this language. There is clear precedent. You cannot have language like this. And even with our politicized Supreme Court, you got to think they're going to fix it. But that editorial was one of the top read pieces on our site all day yesterday. So that tells me that some of the work we're doing is reaching quite a few eyeballs, uh, and hopefully people will see this. I, I don't know that the Supreme Court will follow it because Sharon Kennedy and Pat DeWine showed in gerrymandering they don't care about the rule of law. It's all about their political party being ahead. So I have no faith that they'll do the right thing in either of these cases. I'd be shocked if they do. I mean, if they follow the law and follow precedent, you'd think this would be a slam dunk, but this is Ohio. Well, and they should also invalidate it because it's an August election. And as of right now, those are illegal in Ohio, according to Mike DeWine's signature on the legislature's bill. But Pat DeWine won't see it that way. He doesn't even recuse himself from his dad's cases. You're listening to Today in Ohio. This is a surprise. When was the last time that seatbelt use in Ohio was as low as it is now, Layla? I was kind of shocked by this story, frankly, because 
Our state has gone backward on a lot of things, but there's no reason for seatbelt use to be among them, right? I mean, who doesn't automatically buckle up when they get in a car? But according to an annual observational study conducted by the Ohio Department of Public Safety and the University of Akron, the statewide seatbelt compliance rate fell from about 84% in 2021 to less than 81% last year. To put this in perspective, national seatbelt use is at 92%. So we are really lagging the national trend. It's it's the lowest compliance rate in Ohio since 2005. And sadly, in Cuyahoga County, the compliance rate was 20 points lower than anywhere else in the state. And the stats are really clear on the consequences of not wearing your seatbelt. In 2022, there were 527 people killed in Ohio traffic crashes where a seatbelt was available but not used. And it was the third consecutive year that Ohio's unbelted fatality rate was above 60%. Well, if you're not wearing a seatbelt, you have a much higher chance of being ejected, which means you're pretty much going to die. Sure. What I'm surprised about this, for my generation, you really had to change hearts and minds. Because I grew up, mm-hmm. people never wore seatbelts. I mean, you didn't even have shoulder belts when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, in the 1980s, you really had a campaign to get people to understand it, and then laws were passed. But your generation, Layla and Laura, you grew up with this being automatic, and we've had child car seats now forever. It just seems like this should be automatic. I don't understand why it would drop, and nobody really seems to have even a speculative reason why. Yeah, I don't understand. I mean, Jake Zuckerman reminds us in the story that Governor DeWine attempted to include language in the budget bill that makes failing to wear a seatbelt a primary offense that cops can pull drivers over for, and that there's evidence that shows that seatbelt compliance increases by an average of, I think it was five percentage points in states that make failure to buckle up a primary offense. But the Ohio House removed that language from the budget bill kind of inexplicably and I was wondering why that happened. Is there some kind of culture war around seatbelts that I don't know about? (laughs) Actually, I I think they did the right thing because if we know anything, it's the police use those kind of things to target minorities. Well, that's what I that's what I thought about. I mean, how Jake Jake points out that black drivers are less likely than other demographics to buckle up, and so I thought, you know, maybe this is, um, you know, to prevent racial profiling on the roads and and to keep police from having a justification for pulling over black drivers. But I mean, something tells me that concern is not what prompted the GOP lawmakers to strip out the language. So I was trying to figure out what other motivation they might have. But look, we we changed the entire approach to seatbelts in this country in the 80s and 90s with publicity. There was a lot of discussion. There were a lot of evidence shown. And maybe what, what Ohio needs to do is be more effective in messaging why this is so important for you and your passengers. Well, I don't know that you need the stick here because it will be abused. They will pull over more right. black that's drivers. True. They, you know, that's, it's, it's broken taillights and tinted windows. You shouldn't be able to pull somebody over for that. They should just have an automated ticket go because then you avoid the whole volatile situation that arrives and police pull somebody over. Giving the police another cheesy reason to pull people over, I don't think is the answer. So then, I mean, whatever we do with a campaign, obviously it needs to start in Cuyahoga County where the rate is 59%. (laughs) It's barely over half. It's unimaginable to me how it's that low. But is, I mean, we have like click it or ticket. I mean, what else are you going to do? There's billboards and banners and stuff. You could go the way of the the high school prom videos that they used to show. Oh, terrify you. Oh, yeah. We're showing people flying through windshields because they didn't, yeah. 
I mean, that's what worked for me. Yeah. When I when I was when I was a, a, you know coming out of my teenage years and an early driver, I read a series about the injuries people get from not wearing seatbelts, and I've worn one ever since. It scared me. Yeah. So, Maybe the, commercials that commercials with those with the crash, crash dummies. dummies. You remember those? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. the crash test dummies. Right. Good. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. So bring that back instead of using the stick. You're listening to Today in Ohio. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. How does this happen? You use the pandemic to scam $7 million out of the government, get caught, agree to a penalty, and then you skate by with half of that penalty. Laura, what's going on here? Well, I'm not exactly sure what's going on in the judge's mind, but yeah, created more than 70 fake business, swindled the government over $7 million in COVID relief money, and all those businesses with the same Euclid address. So this is Aiden Kalad. Taroff. He's sentenced to two years and nine months in prison. Uh, he got about 2.1 million of those loans. And his brothers, who, by the way, have not been, char- well, they're charged, but they're not in custody yet. Um, he worked with them to do all of this. And his lawyer basically said it was a complicated relationship with his brothers and he was under their their thumb, basically. All right. And, and when he got when he made his deal, he was supposed to go away for a certain amount of time. Yeah, I don't I don't know. The defense attorney said he was roped into the scheme and the two brothers were involved. I don't exactly know why the judge didn't go with what the the recommended sentence was. Yeah, it seems like it seems like something very weird happened here. Who was the judge that decided to only give half the penalty? US District Judge Pamela Barker. So I don't know. I mean, and, and if you read these these companies they came up with, it's uh, interesting. There was like a peanut one. I mean, I don't know. Agriculture in the middle of Euclid, Almonds and Peanuts, LLC, Ohio Organic Carrots, LLC. Yeah, it was a, it was a gigantic scam. I mean, yeah. These guys scammed the government out of $7 million. They agreed that this was an agreement to do seven years and prosecutors are besides themselves. It's like, why, why are we making these deals? If the judge is just going to unilaterally without explanation, go easy on people. You're listening to today in Ohio. All right, Lisa, more bad news for East Cleveland's police department. Why did a commander there abruptly resign Tuesday? Well, 46-year-old uh, Larry McDonald resigned Tuesday because he faced being fired in connection with a March 12th car chase and, and accident. He was also indicted by a grand jury for tampering with evidence, telecommunications fraud, and misdemeanor dereliction of duty and leaving an accident scene in relation to this incident. Also indicted was East Cleveland Police Sergeant uh, Anthony Holmes. He was charged with obstructing justice, telecommunications fraud, and other misdemeanors. He apparently did not tell uh, Cleveland 
police department investigators what he knew about this this crash. So on March 12th, McDonald chased a driver who ended up crashing into a bus stop shelter. East Cleveland Police uh, Chief uh, Brian Gerhardt says they'll release more info and some body cam footage, at, you know, at a later date. They're, they said that they conducted an internal review and they found that several rules were broken around this incident. McDonald, who is also known as Pac-Man on the streets, has been a cop since 2007. He did move to Cleveland PD in 2017, but he came back to East Cleveland later that year. He's been in trouble before. He was no-billed in the shooting of 19-year-old Vincent Belmonte in January of 2021. Uh, Belmonte ran from the car that uh, McDonald chased, and he turned off his body camera just before the shooting occurred. And there were other incidents on his record as well. Yeah, he's clearly one of the the bad eggs that we've seen at the East Cleveland Police Department. We did that whole series a year and a half ago about the ridiculous way they chased everybody. Uh, We had thought that with the new chief, they had clamped down on that and stopped it because it was endangering so many lives. Clearly, this guy still doing chases, still endangering people given this crash. But in this case, trying to cover it up, I guess it's a good sign that they're, they're weeding him out. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We've said more than a few times on this podcast that Cuyahoga County should elevate the pay for jail guards to get more professional applicants. The jail has been in shambles. Apparently, some of the leaders have the same line of thought. Layla, what's the news here? Well, the county currently has 605 corrections officers, but they have 120 vacancies. And they've been struggling to attract candidates to fill those jobs for a long time. And also to make sure that officers show up for work because... When officers call off, it creates a burden for the officers who are mandated to work overtime. That contributes to burnout. So this latest collective bargaining agreement with the union representing the corrections officers is geared towards solving those problems. For the sixth time in five years, corrections officers are going to get a raise. New officers are going to start off earning $25 an hour this year and earn up to $26.50 per hour by 2025. That is about a dollar raise over their current pay for starting officers and an increase of more than $10 over what they were making just five years ago. Officers with more than three years of experience will earn up to $32.36 per hour over the same period. Uh, Pay raises are, are retroactive to January 1st. And um, this was also interesting that officers will receive a one-time $500 bonus and an additional $300 for each month that they maintain perfect attendance. So no tardies, no absences, no call-offs. It's kind of sad that they have to incentivize showing up for work, but I really think that's what they have to do at this point. Except people with COVID will come to work. I mean, there is a danger Oof, that for didn't even the think money, about people COVID. will Man, I can't believe COVID is out of sick. This is a good, you're right. This is a good sign. Clearly they've been attracting some poor candidates because we've written no end of stories about people taking drugs in or beating people up there. And it hasn't felt like you have the most professional staff or, or largely a professional staff And, and they need better candidates and better candidates want the money. And so the fact that they've raised the the level of pay is good. They probably need to raise it some more. I would think that the level of pay or the low level of pay has a lot to do with why guards sneak contraband into the prison because they make money off of that. 
Yeah, true. I know. It's they're supplementing their pay through their job. So it's a good step. Good to see. Hope it works. You're listening to Today in Ohio. How much is demand for summer camp and the prices of summer camp gone up in recent years? And how hard is it to find an opening? Laura, you just wrote a story about this. I did. It feels panic inducing for a lot of parents to figure out care for their kid in the summer. Once they get to school age and you don't have a regular child care center anymore, you got to find a system. Either, either you hire a babysitter, which can be very expensive. The average pay is $20 an hour for one kid in Cleveland right now. So find someone to do that or send them to a camp where they get to hang out with other kids and, and have fun. Of course, you got to figure out the transportation of that camp and you got to pay for that camp. And those can run easily in the high, you know, high end of the hundreds of dollars uh, just for a week. And that's day camp. And, and you have to be able to get that slot. They will open up and they will fill up in you know, 10 or 15 minutes. It's that crazy hard to get a spot. So you hear a lot of parents, you got to do this in like January and February too. So it is tough to find and it's expensive. The average camp this year overnight is $150 a day. Day camp is about half of that. And camp prices have jumped about 35% since before the pandemic because the supply decreased. A lot of camps closed their doors and the demand is really up. Did you get closed out of any that you were trying to find? No, but thankfully my kids are just at that age. They're 10 and 12 now where they don't have to be in a camp every second of the summer. They can be home. You know, both my husband and I have some flexibility from work so they can make plans with friends. They have swim team. They have some local stuff to do. But uh, I, I, you know, I'm the person that sets the, you know, puts it on my calendar, sets the alarm is on there at the crack of dawn to sign up. But I have friends that were, you know, 10 or 15 minutes behind me and didn't get in. Wow. Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Should this be on the National Register of Historic Places, I ask facetiously. <laughs> what is to become of the very first Super K department store in the nation, which happens to be right here in Northeast Ohio? Lisa, it's going down. It is. The very first Super Kmart in the nation at 1105 North Court Street in Medina uh, opened in 1991 to much fanfare. It closed in 2012 and has been sitting empty since then. So Michigan-based Meyer chain has submitted plans for a 160,000 square foot store at the site to the Medina Planning Commission. That building would be slightly larger than the than the old Kmart building, and they'll also redo the front parking lot there. The Kmart building is owned by Benderson Development. It's flanked by two retail strips owned by someone else, so it's kind of, you know, shoehorned in there. This would be the eighth Meyer store in Greater Cleveland, joining uh, locations in Seven Hills, Mentor, Stowe, Lorraine, Brunswick, Avon, and Brimfield Township. Um, they're also building a smaller 40,000 square foot store under construction at East 105th and Cedar, Meyer that is. Um, the community development director for Medina, Andrew Dutton, says they've been in talks with Meyer for about six months. They will see the plans at their June 8th meeting, but he says this is fantastic news. Um, obviously, big box stores are hard to repurpose, um, but uh, Kmart, apparently there are several old Kmarts that have been repurposed. Cleveland Clinic did one in Middleburg Heights. And uh, in West Park, they're redoing an old Kmart to make it into an Aldi and a Starbucks store. So some old Kmarts are finding new life, but big box stores are a really hard sell. Yeah, it is. We still have the one in Cleveland Heights, the old Walmart that just sits like a 
Can I can I just tell you my super K story? Like growing up near Montrose, it was it replaced a drive-in movie theater in the early '90s, and it was like where we hung out in high school because it was open 24 hours, and like we would just go there and wander. Also, it had a, a video store, obviously, and that's you know what we did in high school. You hung out in a movies. Super Kmart as a teenager. We literally hung out in Super Kmart. That's what people would do. Where they would like wander the aisles of Super K. Bath wow. was not that exciting, and <laughs> now it's like a a J.C. Penney and a little Vin um, furniture store. So they did find a, a homes for that when it closed. God, probably close to twenty years ago. So most people, when they see a blue light, they get nervous because it's a cop. But for you, <laughs> it's memory. a reminder of your warm childhood. <laughs> the blue light makes your heart grow pitter patter. <laughs> You're listening to Today in Ohio. Cuyahoga County has just wiped out a bunch of its debt. How much does it have left? And does it mean that it has room to borrow a build? borrowed to build a jail. Layla. Well, you know, this story made me feel better about the status of my own home equity line of credit. <laughs> <laughs> the upshot here is that the county is paying off some debt. So yay, but it's going to quickly be replaced by more debt. Womp womp. So the county recently paid off the original debt on the Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse and Progressive Field. County Council on Tuesday approved the last $2.6 million in general fund dollars to pay off those bonds that date back to the 1990s. And that settles the original $120 million plus interest that the county took on back in 92, 94 to build those facilities. But the county still has $1.3 billion in debts on the books. The county still owes on on other things like, you know, those sports facilities. That includes the additional $140 million it took on in 2017 to renovate the Rocket Mortgage Arena half of that Cleveland Cavaliers are paying. And the $190.9 million in new debt issued last year as part of a deal to extend the Guardian's lease of Progressive Field and make a bunch of renovations there. And the county has to build that jail. They have to. And it's not going to be cheap. It could be $650 million or $750 million. So council recently discussed how the county might cope with that. Do they try to operate under their usual threshold and use more of their reserves for that project? To finance less of it, um, you know, it's it's unclear. And there's still more debt on the horizon. Come 2027, the county will no longer have to commit $27 million a year toward the debt they incurred to build that boondoggle MedMart. But the county is about to take on $31 million more in debt to finance renovations to that facility. It's turned it into the Grand Convention Center that they want. And that will be on the books until 2042. And we have more renovations looming at the stadiums. The Guardians and Cavs have been like kids in a candy shop with, with the syntax dollars. So, Well, I mean, the other thing is they still owe a million dollars on the Shaker Square project from, that's right, from yeah. 2000 that was a boondoggle. Now we've spent a bunch more public money on a stupid idea. They don't even know what they're going to do with it. And Brandon Krastowski wanted it. it. It's just more evidence of how foolish we are when it comes to Shaker Square. Look, the, the, you mentioned the sports stadiums, and there's a key thing here. They, they, we've been debating the the sports stadium funding in this neck of the woods for decades, right? But never before have the teams had such 
you know, eye on the sky level of demands while we are this strapped. The county has to build that jail. It's probably going to cost three quarters of a billion dollars. They have to do something with the courthouse. Who knows what that's going to cost? If you build a new one or renovate, it's going to be probably at least a half a billion dollars. And they don't have the ability to borrow that much. Meanwhile, Paul Dolan, Dan Gilbert and Dee and Jimmy Haslam, who are all loaded, by the way, are all have their hands out saying we want ours. This is going to be, I think, a different kind of debate about sports stadiums. I'm not sure any of them are going to get what they want. Right. And I, I, I don't think that the public has the tolerance that they might have had in the past for this kind of lavish spending on stadiums. Right. Because we have needs that we have to, we don't have a choice about why should we be taking hundreds and hundreds of millions and slapping it into the hands of these folks who just profit from it. I I really do get the feeling the debate is going to be very different this time. And I, I wonder if it becomes a debate about can Cleveland continue to support three sports Mm -hmm, teams? mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, Caitlin's story is terrific. It lays out in in clear detail what the status of the debt is. Everybody who is paying attention to policy in Cuyahoga County should read it. It published this morning. Really a terrific look. That's it for Thursday on Today in Ohio. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Layla. Thank you for listening. We'll be back Friday to wrap up a week of news. We will not have a podcast on Monday. We're taking the holiday. We hope you enjoy it, too. 